Welcome to MedHeads, the weekly show that brings a biopsychosocial focus to issues of the day, along with special guests who will showcase their expertise and enthusiasm about their field of practice. Your host, Dr. Fergal Armstrong. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and welcome to MedHeads. Today, we have Oscar Grano and Craig Payne with us. And we're going to be talking about self-esteem, ego, balance, and how they relate to addiction and recovery. So, Craig, what's your view of, of the importance of self-esteem and, and, and ego in this process? Uh, yeah, I just think it, it's something that, that comes up along the way. Um, and the way we look at self-esteem and the way we look at ego um, can be challenged a little bit. Uh, and Why? yeah, Why should it, it be challenged? well, uh, it needs to be, um, Why? because there's the, the thoughts that along the way that, um, that I know what I'm doing is, is, is a common, um, common thought amongst people. And I know what's best for me. Um, and I know what works for mm. me, uh, mm. and that needs to be challenged. And also the thought that, um, maybe they're not as bad as other people and, and that their stories are worse. And um, so what works for someone else isn't going to work for them. And so you yeah, just need, need to be challenged on that to accept that, oh no, we're all in this together. We've all got similar problems going on, different stories, but similar problems. And mm. um, there's underlying issues that need to be worked on and that needs to be addressed. And Oscar, does that hold true for you? Yeah, 100%. Um, and I also believe as well that I've seen a lot that for a lot of people in addiction that they have an overinflated ego to compensate for how small they feel inside and to compensate for their low self-esteem. Um, yeah. yeah, a kind of process of learning that, you know, what you need to do to build a genuine self-esteem can actually be quite simple. What, what do you have to do to build a genuine sense of self-esteem? Um, well... I believe you just need to do esteemable things to begin yeah. with. Yeah. Um, I think it's about where, where your action is. Um, um, can you give us some examples of esteemable, esteemable actions? Yeah, of course. Well, it could even just be, you know, in, in the beginning, in, in, in the early days, it could be as simple as showing up to catching up for someone with coffee on time, you know, not, yeah. not making people wait. Um, you know, when, when you get your first job in recovery, you know, like actually not robbing the place, you know, things like yeah. that, that, that for yeah. a lot of people, they've never been able to do in addiction. Um, yeah. And I also believe that it's, you know, I know for me, it's very simple. If my behaviours line up with my values, mm. then I'm okay with myself. So, Oscar, if I'm hearing you right, what you're saying is that, that people in addiction actually feel very vulnerable and very threatened and they've got very low self-esteem, uh, but they may present a facade that is very arrogant. Is that right? Or they may mm. tend to be Definitely aggression. For some people, so yeah. arrogance and aggression are almost the, the facade, and underneath that facade, there's the frightened little child. Mm. Craig, does that ring true with you and your experience and in, in your professional uh, dealings with, with patients? Yeah, absolutely. And I think... Um... That what Oscar's talking about there—the the overcompensation from people—it it really rings true, you know. And sometimes, you know, there's there's the old um, some. It's about challenging the story that you've told yourself and that you believe yourself. Um, you know, people try to 
cover up deficiencies um, in behaviours and things but by overcompensating. Um, mm. And as, as we progress further through, we realise that they're the things that need to be worked on. They're the things that need to be addressed. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you're going to stay mm. trapped in the addiction. And there's also this sense of uniqueness, isn't there? I'm different. Uh, my, as part of the ego strength, I am unique in my own suffering. I'm therefore worthy of special attention or I'm worthy of not actually having to engage in groups or I don't really have that problem. And also there's the uniqueness in terms of, well, actually, I'm, I'm, my, I'm the best expert for my care. So, Oscar, do you want to tease that out a little bit, the, the, the uniqueness of the suffering and the uniqueness of the treatment plan? Could you tell us what your views are on that? Uh, I remember when I first got into recovery, there was something I heard somebody talked about uh, believing that they were terminally unique. Um, yeah. And that, you know, l- like you said, when they started going to support groups and, and started looking at getting into recovery, it was very much of a perspective of, oh, well, that's all well and good and and, and it'll work for you but you know you don't, you don't understand what it's like for me and um yeah. and i remember getting told in the beginning how important it was to listen for the similarities and not the differences yes and how how do you communicate that to someone who's feeling frightened on the verge of making a first step to recovery and maybe thinking of going to their first group that's that's part of the defense mechanism is this uh, as you've said this terminal uniqueness how do you help someone in that situation what what can you do to get them across the threshold as it were i think you can just show them unconditional kindness yes. and hope that, you know hope, hope that you know other people in the group show them unconditional kindness and that unconditional kindness is enough for them to hang around long enough to start to get that message that maybe they do belong there, maybe this is somewhere that they can get help, and maybe there are things that they can relate to, and that yes. they 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 want they want to come back, so their thinking has an opportunity to be challenged. So that's a concept that I haven't heard before. This this idea that within a peer support group, one of the powers of that group is the unconditional kindness. Do you think that's uh, do you think that's common in peer support groups, or is this something that you and your professionalism have have developed? I, I think it's common in peer support groups. Um, yeah. I don't think that really is work it labelled as such. Is it is it given that kind of name? Um, yeah, well, that's a, a lot of people that I've known over over the years have all mm. had the, the ones who've managed to. Um, have long-term recovery, you know, have definitely had that experience within the peer support groups, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And what about you, Craig? I mean, what, what would you comment on in terms of this terminal uniqueness and this unconditional kindness? Yeah, I think there's this, there's this <clears throat> feeling of um, always being um, better than or less than. And yeah. so it's constantly comparing yourself to other people. Yeah. And, you know, it's quite often when people do rock up to support groups, when people do rock up to things, they, they think that they don't need it, that they should be able to do it on their own, you know, and this is the yeah. ego. And they look around the room and they look at all these other people and judge them by clothing, judge them by their stories, judge them by all, all, all these various aspects, whatever they want to do to, to help make themselves feel better. Mm. And it's only through going a little bit more and, and being encouraged and, um, as they say, listening for the similarities and not the differences. And yeah. the more that you can 
get people to understand the similarities in the story, the more that um, point of difference is broken down and the more that they start to see and, and feel comfortable within the group and start to see that actually they do fit in and that their stories may be not so unique. So I'm hearing three key words here. I'm hearing uniqueness, kindness, and similarities. Yeah, that to me is beginning, you know, that, that, that could be the mantra for today's discussion. How, Craig, how do you demonstrate unconditional kindness? What, what does that mean in reality? So, so just picture the scene. I, I'm, I'm kind of, this is my first ever group. Uh, I'm an angry man. I've, I've been traumatized. I've, you know, I've, I've, got a, I've got a significant dependency on methamphetamine. <clears throat> I've got a criminal record. I've got hepatitis C. I'm angry. How do you help me? Yeah, well, and this is the thing. It's like every, everyone's got these different stories. And so what <laughs> the story is doesn't matter. But how, how they present to the group is, is, is where it starts, I think. And um, it's just it starts with acceptance. It starts with knowing that we all come in in that point of fear. It starts mm. with knowing that everyone comes in not really knowing what to expect. And, yeah, um, and, yeah, so, and some people just want that instant fix. So. Oscar, how do you help me? What do you say to me on my first five minutes of being in this group? What do you say to me, Oscar? I say welcome. Mm. Um, I say welcome. Uh, I say, you know, you're in the right place. And, you know, at, at the end of the meeting, I say, keep coming back. That's great you to know? hear. So Welcome, you're in the right place, and then keep coming back. Oh, yeah. How do you respond then to the people who say, well, oh, it was useless. You know, I didn't get anything out of that. The first time, oh, I just didn't want to do it again. You know, how, how, do you, how do you respond? What does that entail or demonstrate? Craig, you're smiling. In fact, both of you are smiling, yeah. but Craig first. <laughs> I didn't get anything out of that group. It was useless. How do you respond to me then? I remember, I'm still this angry man with methamphetamine use disorder and hepatitis C from injecting. And start a conversation. Ask them what. What they do were you say to me? For. Just yeah, start the conversation. Ask, ask what you were looking for. Encourage you to keep coming back. Tell you that you're not going to get something out. Maybe not going to get something out of every group. That the headspace <clears throat> that you come in yeah. um, can affect that. But just to yeah. keep coming back and giving it a try and and start yeah. a conversation and, and see. And eventually, you can find that. They did connect with something, and there, yeah. and there was a point a point there that yeah. Um, can take and that, that that to me is a very important point. If you keep going to groups long enough, eventually you will hear what you need to hear. Mm. You may not hear yeah. it on the first, the second, the third, the fourth, or fifth time, but eventually you will hear what you need to hear. Something something will be said that finally clicks in you that unlocks your potential for recovery. That's what I say to my clients because, you know, it's not, it's quite, for me, it's quite rare to have a client that says, you know what, that first group that you advised me to go to, it was fabulous. I, I, I won't go anywhere else. I'll just keep going to that group. That actually is quite rare, isn't it? Yeah, the attitude that you go with definitely brings, brings a lot to it. And yeah. the more familiar you start to feel with the expectations, with how things run, with with the group, which isn't just within yourself, yeah. um, and you start to feel a little bit more open to, to talking some more, and, yeah. and, you, and your ears start to open a bit more, and you start to hear the messages coming through to you. So to, to go back to the point of esteem, self-esteem is a very rare commodity, but it's, but it's a very needed commodity. 
And in my view, unless there is self-esteem, you cannot open up to be receptive. Your ears can't open unless you've got enough self-esteem to actually open up your ears. Because if, if, if you've got low self-esteem and you're feeling defensive, you're hunched, you're not open, you won't listen. Does that ring true with you guys then? Is, is, it, is it the case that a lack of self-esteem actually impedes or keeps people trapped in, in addiction and then impedes recovery? O Oscar, what would you say to that? <clears throat> yeah, uh, 100%. I mean, uh, I believe that, you know, if, if, if you're trapped in addiction, that, you know, there's, there's some reason that you're there and there's some reason that you started to use. And mm. more often than not, that reason is that there is some reason that you are unable to be present in your life. You know, it's because you, you, you need to change the way that you feel or, or, or thoughts that are going through your mind or, you know, what your reality is whilst you're present. That means to change for you because you can't bear it. Um, yeah, so it's, it, it really is the thing. I, I know for me, <clears throat> when I first started going to support groups, that unconditional kindness that I experienced, I'd never experienced anywhere else before. And yeah. it made me kind of do a double take and go, hang on a minute, who are these people and why are they being so kind to me? They don't even know me. Um, yeah. And it was because of that experience. It was, it, it, there's a saying that they say, you know, in, in groups like that, you can be loved back to life, you know, and, and um, it's like the, the, these people and this environment was so unconditionally loving and kind that I had the desire to keep coming back. And within that process, I was able to start showing myself that love and kindness. Mm. Well, what would you say to that, Craig? Yeah, and no, I think look, if if self esteem's low, you can get caught in the trap of feeling like you um you don't need the help, you don't deserve the help, um, and so you're yeah. not opening up to being up to being willing to accept the help either. Mm. Um, and yeah, and it it is it's uh, so much in the better you start to feel about yourself, the more you'll accept help and mm. and the more you'll take on board, and the the better you start to feel, the less you start to feel like. The, um, the substances to to assist you um, so yeah it's a it's a really double-edged sword um, between feeling worthy of, of, of wanting like you want the help you're in the desperation but it's that thing of judging yourself and judging other people and that pushes the self-esteem further down but once you start to live within in alignment you start to hear the stories and and this is what it's about all these groups they only want the best for you it's not for them. It's not for anything else. They just want the best for you. Mm. And so as you start to live your values, as you start to live within your alignment and you start to have a better day in general, uh, that's where things are going to turn around and you just feel better about yourself. So the key thing about self-esteem is that you need it to actually engage in recovery. But what if you don't have any self-esteem? I mean, Oscar alluded to this idea that, that you know, self-esteem is, or the lack of self-esteem is closely interwoven with a past history of trauma, etc. It can be very difficult to actually get enough self-esteem to make that first step, can it not? Oscar, well, how would you deal with that? Or how would you advise someone who's so traumatized and so low and, and feel so unworthy of love or help or kindness how do you what do you say to people like that 
the same thing as as I said before. Just, I mean, if if, if somebody's not open to an idea, uh, you can't force them to open up to it. Or all you can do is show them that unconditional kindness, and just hope that that is enough for them to open up enough just to begin at least with with the acceptance of their situation and where they're at and what's causing it. And you know, I've, I've known people who've been in recovery for really long periods of time and still talk about how they struggle with their self-esteem and how, you know, it, it can be a really long ongoing process. And I believe that it is possible to get recovery from addiction before you have a really strong sense of, of self-esteem. I think that mm. it's something that comes a lot slower for some people than others. Mm. Yeah. What, what would you say to that, Craig? Yeah, I think it's in, in how, how you measure it. Um, or how you measure yourself um, and the more you can start to feel equal um, to other people then um, but that's part of that that's a part of the process mm. but um, but yeah it, the more the more you change your behaviors the more you'll you'll just start to get to the other side um, and mm. yeah self-esteem builds I'm sorry and that's right and so this is why we need to look at things throughout the day that are helping you feel better and this is why we look at the whole life the whole holistic point of view because yeah. we're looking at little things throughout the day that might start with making your bed in the morning um, yeah. or the fact that you're even starting treatment the fact that you're even starting to look at things and this is why we need the network around us and if that's the the counselors or the friends and family but just the support networks to help encourage and just to be pointing out the positives and the things that we are that you are doing um, because you can tend to get pretty um, negative focused and so we just need people to point out the things that we're doing well as, as along the way to help boost the self-esteem. So we're talking about the celebration of minor victories here, aren't we? Make Absolutely. your bed in the morning and then go to bed, put the head on the pillow at night without having used. That's a victory. That's a huge victory, isn't it? Now, let's, 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 let's talk about um, before the point of recovery. To what extent does self-esteem and ego allow and permit drug use you know to what extent does self-esteem and ego allow this idea that i don't really have a problem i'm in control of this i can do this what do you think uh, oscar how, how does self-esteem perpetuate drug use before the point of recovery um well i know i know for me uh, before being in recovery, um, before finding drugs, my self-esteem was so low and uh, I felt so uncomfortable within my own identity that drugs were the perfect opportunity and the perfect thing for me to build an identity and to build, you know, a self, you know, build a self-esteem um, in, in a way that was obviously... Right. Uh, fabricated and not in reality and not who I really was. Um, but at the time, it, it felt like it was it was what I needed to to feel okay in the world and within myself. And then um, I suppose I just kind of ran with it from there. So the drugs gave you self-esteem. Mm. Was there ever a mm. point when you were using drugs where you felt that you were in control and that, that your self-esteem allowed you to think to yourself, I, I've got this, I can do this, I can control this. Did that, did that ever happen to you? 
yeah, but the, but the periods of time where I was able to uh, convince myself of that became uh, shorter and shorter. And yeah, it, it really was that process of each time that I'd go to try and stop. And then when I'd come back home, that the goal would always be, well, yeah, you know, I'm going to try and start. Um, I'm only going to use it these times with these people in this way. Uh, and surely I'll, I'll end up somewhere different. Um, and there, there, there was those few times where going into it, I solemnly believed that I'd be capable of doing that. Um, yeah. But it wasn't the case, was it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, what yeah. about you? Do you think that yeah, self-esteem... No, think... Sorry, go on. Yeah, no, well, that's the thing. I think um, low self-esteem can be such a leader into in, into drug use in the first place. Um, and, oh, you know, and and with drinking and things, it's like, oh, it just boosts my confidence and I feel so much better. And, you know, and so it's used for the low self-esteem, but the ego keeps you trapped in it when you start to think that you can do it alone and you start to think, oh, I should be able to control this. I should be able to stop. I should be able to only do this on weekends and um, because I, yeah, I'm in control of everything else in my life, so why can't I should be able to control this? But as you start to realise that you can't, the self-esteem then gets lower. So ego is telling that you can control it, but all the while your self-esteem is getting eaten away because you can't. And so mm. it's this really difficult balance. So there's a self-delusion there, isn't there? Absolutely. You're lying to yourself. You're not being honest with yourself. Yeah. So the ego yeah. keeps you trapped, but the low self-esteem keeps you trapped at the same time. Mm. Yeah. Now, that's the descent into drug use and drug addiction. I mean, that kind of balance, is there, is there a balance in recovery? But I mean, you've identified these two drivers about low, low ego and low self-esteem or, or changes in ego and changes in self-esteem. Craig, does, does the reverse happen in, in recovery? I think in recovery and for people that start to get long-term recovery, um, they're constantly, uh, there's a real self-awareness that goes with it. And they're yeah. constantly reviewing where where they're sitting within their ego and with their self-esteem. And this is why we need people around us to to keep us accountable and to yeah. call us into account and think that, um, you know, if we're, if we're getting a little bit too overconfident because, um, you know, as, as we know, overconfidence leads to complacency. Uh, yeah. We start to think we've got this and then stop doing all the things that have been working for us along the way. Um, yeah. And uh, just as much, we need to we need people around us to make sure that the, the self-esteem's um, not lowering too far um, so that we don't fall into that danger zone either um, of looking for external um, external support. So, um, or something external to self to make you feel better. Um, so yeah, so really need people around, but, and I think that's where, and learning to modify those behaviors, learning that you need to modify your, your thoughts and behaviors along the way, um, and, you know, and bounce ideas off people. And so again, the, the bigger and better the support network that you've got, um, the more people can help you keep your ego and self-esteem in check. So self-esteem and ego, they can impede the the, the the feedback that you need from your support network to grow as, a, as an individual. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, yeah. Like I need my yeah. beliefs challenged. I need the story yeah. that I tell myself challenged because yeah. my head will tell me one thing and, and, and take, take me somewhere. Mm. But I need people to challenge that 
because mm. history will tell me where those thoughts will take me. What do you think, Oscar? Oh, absolutely. You know, um, yeah, it's like, you know, I have to learn how to give myself permission to feel uh, good about myself and to feel confident and strong within my attributes. Um, but at the same time, there always has to be a level of humility within that as well. Um, and I think that a big part of being in recovery is discovering that balance. Mm. I need You've people mentioned- around to make sure that, I, oh, sorry, yeah, I was just going to say, I need people around to make sure that I'm still taking risks, um, but not too big, you know, like I'm still, I'm still living mm. life um, and, and taking chances and, and the, but more importantly that I'm still making mistakes because if I'm not making mistakes, I'm not trying new things and I'm never building my self-esteem and I'm never building things up from there. Mm. This, you've used the word humility, Oscar. Some people may feel threatened by humility because they may interpret it as false humility. Have you ever come across that? Or is there such a thing? Um example of false humility okay so I'm, I'm looking at this situation from the perspective of someone who's in early recovery who's very defensive who 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 feels that they're different this this you know this terminal uniqueness and they're confronted by someone who maybe is in a position of power or authority over them or at least perceived authority and then that person demonstrates some kind of or it gives a statement that says, "Oh, look, you know, I, I'm I'm as I'm as I'm as bad as you, or I'm as not bad as you. That, that would be the wrong word. You know, I, I I suffer as much as you." And then this patient is seeing how successful they are in compared to them. Could that come over as false? You know, it, what I'm trying to get at is that there has to be an underlying veracity, a sincerity in the message that is communicated within humility. And I, I can, I, I know some clients who feel that certainly in certain peer groups that they just feel surrounded by people who don't, who are not sincere. Mm. But maybe yeah. that's a function of that individual's terminal uniqueness, as you've said. I, I, you know, what do you think? It about could that? be. Well, I, I think uh, try some different groups out. Yeah. You know, there's, there, there's a lot of different groups and there's yeah. always going to be somebody that says something that ticks you off the wrong way. Yeah. Um, you know, and sure, there's there's people who have long-term recovery, but they're still a very long way away from reality. And it can take people a really long time uh, mm. to be able to detach from their ego and to be able to get that balance of what is genuine self-esteem, what is feeling good about myself genuinely and what is, you know, overinflation of my ego to yeah. still compensate for the fact that I don't feel good about myself. Yeah. Um, so that, that balance between ego and arrogance or humility and arrogance, really, that's, that's, that's really important then to go on as, as one progresses, both not only in recovery, but also in general life. What do you think, Craig? Yeah, I think absolutely. And it can be reflected in the behaviors um, you know, am I constantly doing things to make, make myself feel good or am I doing things to help other people feel good too? Mm. Um, you know, if, it, if, it's, if you're only concentrating on yourself all the time, mm. um, then maybe you're overcompensating for the low self-esteem so you're not actually mm. 
accepting the true story of what's going on. Yeah. Gentlemen, as usual, we've run out of time far too quickly. Thank you both for your great wisdom. I need one concluding message, one final hope, one thought that we can carry away from this. Craig first. Uh, yeah, don't be afraid of making mistakes and yeah. uh, have, have good people around you. And Keep Oscar? I'd just say stick with the strength. Yeah. You know, stick with the strength. And when you're seeking help, you know, after a little while, you'll be able to see whether somebody's, well, you know, whether they're walking the walk as well as talking the talk. And, yeah. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. I look forward to seeing you again very soon. Thank you. That's it for today's MedHeads. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong. I look forward to seeing you all next time. Mm -hmm.